Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, brought to you by Source from Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Associate Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In this episode, Marisol Birdie, Endowed Professor and Plant Sciences Graduate Program Coordinator at North Dakota State University, discusses her multi-year research on nitrogen and cover crops and attempts to answer the question, can we count the nitrogen credits of cover crops for the following cash crop? So I'm here with Mary Soul Birdie, and I just want to ask you um, first, before we get into some of your research, just to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah, hello. Um, I'm uh, Marisol Berti. I'm a professor at North Dakota State University. I've been here since 2009. I work in forages research, cover crops, cropping systems, and related to soil health and environmental impacts of all the systems uh, involving cover crops and forages. And so our, my research is uh, production. So I, like I always say, my lab is in the field. <laughs> I don't have a uh, a building lab, so mainly in the field, and the, the idea is to try to get how we um, we still grow our crops but protect our resources. And so recently at the um, Soil Health Summit in Minnesota, you gave a presentation about um, cover crops and, and scavenging um, nitrogen and resources for the following mm-hmm. crop. And so I think that's primarily what we're going to talk about today. Um, so can you just kind of give us a little bit of an overview of the, of the study and the research and, and some key points? Yeah, the, the idea, one of the main questions that comes with cover crops is, can I assign any nitrogen credits to cover crops for my next crop? You know, especially when, uh, it's corn, the next crop, right? And we've been doing research since 2016 and trying to answer that question, um, with different studies, but also for the presentation at the Soil Health Summit, I also used uh, data from other uh, researchers from other parts of the country to try to set the point of really what's happening. Uh, more than just say works or doesn't work, I try to explain what the nitrogen cycle is, uh, you know, and try to understand uh, how the nitrogen moves, where we can lose it and where we can gain it. All right. So I guess um, first question is, what makes this question so difficult to answer? And, and, you know, why are why might it take several years to come to um, any sort of conclusion about something like this? Yeah, well, we studied for a long time. We still don't have a a definite answer, but we at least know some things. Why is it difficult is because um, there's it's a very complex system with many moving parts when it comes to nitrogen. Uh, nitrogen is it moves in the soil quickly and is transformed by bacteria in the soil to different forms. And so that's why I, my presentation explained the nitrogen cycle first, right? We got some inputs of nitrogen, like if we use cover crop legumes, we get nitrogen fixation. We have, um, if we have cover crops or not legumes, we have whatever those cover crops take up. And then when they die, or they're terminated, then the nitrogen goes in the soil as a form of residues. Uh, so we have that input. We, if there's manure application, of course, we have the manure. And if and the other main input in most crops is the nitrogen fertilizer. So those are the inputs. Once it gets in the soil, a lot of things happen to the nitrogen, right? And it gets, uh, if, it, if from the fertilizer, 
Uh, if it's urea, it comes in ammonia form. Ammonia doesn't last too long in the soil as ammonia, ammonium ion. Uh, is transformed by bacteria in the soil in a process called nitrification um, that transforms that form to nitrate. Um, and nitrate is moves in the soil with water. So uh, all these forms of nitrate and whether it comes from the residues, whether it comes from a fertilizer, once it's in nitrate, nitrate form, can be easily lost from the system by leaching. If uh, you got excess water, especially sandy soils, or also for another loss, it, people don't count much, but it's important is by the nitrification, which is a loss by uh, when there's water logging in the soil, uh, nitrate can be converted to uh, nitrous oxide and released as a gas in the soil. So that's why it's so complex because, you know, um, and then all these processes, they happen with uh, soil, you know, microorganisms, all these conversions depend on many factors, especially temperature, moisture, right? And uh, in the time that takes those residues on the cover crops to convert to a form of nit nitrogen, mineral nitrogen that the plant can uptake and use, you know, it will vary the timing that that is released. Okay. Um, We've seen in the research that cover crops can take up a lot of nitrogen if there's nitrogen in the soil, right? We've measured up to 100 pounds in a crop. But once a crop goes in the soil, we've never seen 100 pounds nitrogen credit, right? Uh, so it's because it's another processes that happen. If it's not converted to nitrate, it can be immobilized in the soil by the microorganisms. That means it came becomes part of the organic matter, uh, the bodies of the organisms, especially when the residue has a high carbon nitrogen rate. That means uh, like wheat straw, wheat straw. So, so we have cover crops there, they have they're dry and they're, they're gonna have a high car carbon nitrogen rate. Then the microorganisms are gonna use uh, residual nitrogen to try to eat that high carbon uh, material. And that's what's called immobilization. That means it's in a form that is not usable by the plants. It's not that it's not there. That's why I say if a, if a plant you measure and it has 100 pounds per acre, there's 100 pounds that are going in the soil. The problem is, are they in the form the plant can take them up? So that's, that's where I, I, I went back to the cycle many times. That's why it's so complex, the question and um, there's so many factors, and that's what I kind of focus on the different factors that change, uh, you know, mineralization rate uh, that can give or or don't give us some uh, nitrogen nitrogen uh, uh, to the plant and be able to count those nitrogen credits. So, with so many variables, I guess what's the what was your strategy for? Um, I guess how how many different types of cover crops did you? Um, experiment with and, and kind of what was some of the methodology? Yeah, we we have like I said more than one experiment going. We have um, we have different cover crops. We have uh, grasses, uh, brassicas, and legumes um, in those experiments. And we have so some are winter hardy too, like rye and winter camelina. We have winter wheat. Uh, those uh, we expect them to survive for the next year. So that means if those crops have nitrogen. They're not going to release it until and they're terminated in the next spring. 
while things like radish and the legumes will winter kill. So as soon as they winter kill, that nitrogen is going in the residue to the soil. But what happens here, usually that happens when it freezes. And microorganisms need temperature and water to do that. So they're not gonna, uh, they're not gonna work on residues during the winter. They're frozen just like everything else. And you know, they're, they're dormant. They're not gonna be working. So the nitrogen will sit there in the fall if it freezes soon. Now, if you get not, not frost and it rains, you could lose it in the fall too. And it depends where you are and what soil you have, right? So, uh, so we try different crops. Um, with different functions and different root types, you know, dif different crops. And one of the things is uh, the nitrogen on in the cover crop is gonna come from two sources. Either is a legume that fixes nitrogen or from the soil, right? And, and plants take up nitrogen according to their growth. So I always say a plant that growth is gonna have a lot more nitrogen in it, right? If there's nitrogen in the soil. So I did show some slides where if there's no residual nitrogen in the soil, these cover crops grow very, very, very small, unless they're like, they have their own, right? So um, if you get a very small cover crop, you're not gonna have much nitrogen credit. So there is a correlation between how much nitrogen you uptake and the plant grows. So this is important because it's important the planting day that you do these cover crops, you know, uh, I know um, if you have more a, a better window, like after wheat, you might be able to plant it early and get more biomass. The more biomass you get, the more nitrogen those plants are going to take up and if their legumes are going to fix. But in, in corn soybean system, which is very common in the region, right, it's very hard to do that because you don't have time after the crops to plant them. And there's other people that work on interseeding and all kinds of things. But it's hard to get a crop a lot of biomass. So this is very important. I cannot get credit if I don't have a, a lot of biomass in the fall or the spring, right? That's the, the main thing. Growth, uh, plants grow, that grow at different rates. We don't recommend any warm seasons because they're probably going to kill very little and won't do anything. So any fall planting, we don't recommend any warm season crops, only cool season crops. Some are gonna grow much faster than others, like uh, rye, grasses, and some cool season legumes like uh, peas. Um, they grow very fast and produce a lot of biomass. Clovers, unfortunately, for our studies, it might be different in other regions, um, they grow too slow. And so they don't accumulate enough biomass for, for really accounting for any nitrogen credit. So once we planted those crops in the following year, we planted corn uh, on the same, plus we had, you know, the cover crops, but then we had all those plots with cover crops were split on nitrogen rates. So we had five nitrogen rates, no, no nitrogen and uh, four other rates of 40, 80, 120, and 160 uh, pounds per acre of nitrogen, right? Um, I know some farmers use more than that, but it's, you know, North Dakota, that's kind of the limitation. So we apply, the, the reason we use rates, because this is the only way you're gonna, you're gonna know if there's credit, right? If there is credit, um, the check treatment, you know, with no nitrogen rate should be similar to the one where you're putting nitrogen, you know, fertilizer, right? Because that, then you assume that nitrogen came from what it was in the cover crop. 
right? If you don't see differences, you're probably not getting the credit. That means the plant is using, if you see the same response on the check with any of the cover crops, that means the, the, the corn is using the nitrogen from the fertilizer, not the cover crops. And what happened is we did not find much difference. Even with the legumes, we had a little bit of different WPs, but very tiny and almost not significant at the lower rates, 0 and 40. But what was more impactful is we saw a decrease in yield uh, in all nitrogen rates when we have winter camelina or winter rye. And so what happens is, uh, and what happens is when you do it, and that's why there's so many factors that play a role in this. This is a result of four years of study, but, but what happened is we have very dry springs when we did this study, which is not always the case. So what happened is the winter crops both, and we measure, measure uh, gravimetric water, um, the winter crops use too much water. And so they affected the stand establishment of the crop. And that carry on the rest of the year, you know, because we had less plants on those plots. We did this with sugar beets too. And so it really showed that, that uh, at the beginning of the season, cover crops can have a negative effect in a dry spring in this area, right? So instead of seeing a nitrogen credit, we actually saw a loss of yield <laughs> because of the, uh, high water use. So recommendation there is, if you're using cover crops to survive the winter, wherever you are, you have to be watching those cover crops. And if you see this is dry spring, you got to terminate them as soon as you can, because it will affect it. So unfortunately, you can't see the nitrogen. Now, um, we saw a little bit of difference with uh, uh, with forage pea, and this is what has been observed in other places. Um, and I always mention, and I mentioned this too, is in Wisconsin, Dr. Mark Rark has done very similar research uh, with radish, with hairy no, hairy with crimson clover, and, and he found the same results. So I show some of the graphs from his results. He showed the same thing. He showed that uh, radish, you know, as a previous crop, and then he put also four or five rates of nitrogen for corn, radish reduced yield. And it's interesting because radish is even in winter kills. And so it doesn't use water, but we still saw a decrease in it. And I, I, I'll, I'll explain that I explained that in my presentation, why would that happen, right? So, and then uh, when he planted crimson clover, he saw a positive. So there was a nitrogen credit of about 40 pounds when he had crimson clover in Wisconsin, which crimson clover doesn't do good here in North Dakota, but it does much better in other states. So he had that credit. So farmer said, oh, this is bad news. I said, wait, one thing you can do, and this is a recommendation of Dr. Francis, his extensions of fertility here, is um, whatever rate of nitrogen you're gonna put in your corn, um, just make a, a strip with a maximum rate that you usually use, I don't know, 160, 200 pounds, and then leave the field, uh, with maybe 40 pounds less. You're not gonna get much than 40 nitrogen credits from a cover crop. Um, and leave it with 40 less. And then you can look uh, at about V6, V8, you can see there's a difference in color. Or you're trying to see differences between the strip and the rest. 
if you see a difference and your field looks yellower than <laughs> your strip, you go and do a second application because that means you're not getting the credit. Okay, it's not getting there. So what happens here, here is what I explained. The nitrogen is going in the soil, but the time uh, between the, the mineralization of that nitrogen and the crop and the time the corn needs it is can happen two things. It's either uh, too slow released, which happens when you have hard carbonate nitrogen ratio and you have rye. Um, that's that's exactly when when it's gonna take a long time to be released in the soil and it's gonna be released after the corn is already taken, taken up the nitrogen. The corn takes most of the nitrogen it needs by the time it's tasseling. So it's already on the plant. So if the nitrogen in the soil is released after that, the corn can no longer use it because it, you know, it might take a little more, but most of the, the, the nitrogen uptake uh, rate of corn is very fast you know, in the last stage before tasseling. So the plant needs to have the nitrogen in the plant to be able to, you know, to move it to the calves as the grain develops. And so that's one thing that happens with high carbon nitrogen ratio. Now, the other thing that happens with very low carbon nitrogen ratio like radish or hairy veg, and this is other studies I show, and this explains what happened with Dr. Rourke's uh, research, uh, radish and hairy veg, they release it too fast. And I show a graph that um, they're winter kill, and then they release it, and two weeks after they were killed, they released 70 pounds of nitrogen. So all the nitrogen pretty much was released in the soil and is converted to nitrate in, in those two weeks. So it was released about two weeks early before the corn even start uh, taking it up. It was already gone pretty much. And in the spring, if you have rain or you have other conditions, you're gonna lose it. So what happens when radish, when radish is a winter kill crop, you still see a reduction in yield. You don't see that nitrogen. It's probably because it's already gone. And they, they demonstrated that with hairy vetch too. Hairy vetch is a legume, had a lot of nitrogen, but most of the nitrogen was released like when the corn was in B1 stage. It was too small, it wasn't taking it up. So it can be lost. Doesn't have to be lost. It's all gonna, again, it's gonna depend if it rains, it's gonna depend if you have a sandy soil, right? Uh, how much of the nitrogen you're losing. We'll come back to the episode in a moment, but first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. If you want to make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Source from Sound Agriculture optimizes the amount of crop nutrition supplied by the microbes in your soil, providing 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre. It's cost-effective and easy to use. Just throw it in the tank and spray in seed. If you want to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI, there's only one answer. Source it. Learn more at sound.ag. And now, let's get back to the episode. So this nitrogen credit thing is, is a play that you don't know where it's going to go because it depends on all these many factors, right? The good thing is we know what factors affect it so we can more or less uh, start estimating what's going to happen. 
So that's why, in general, in, in most parts, you don't recommend a cover crop like radish alone, right? Because um, it's going to release, and another, you know, the, the, the presentation was about nitrogen, but it can release a lot of phosphorus, and actually phosphorus causes a lot of problems in water quality. So that's why you recommend mixes, right? It's because you want to have different types of crops so you don't lose it all. In, uh, in a very short time before the crops needs it, right? Now, um, anything that you do, you know, as you improve your soil health, and this is what happened with farmers that have been in no-till and cover crops for many years. So we did in a soil that hadn't had been in no-till for a long time. It's newer to tillage and new to cover crops. If you do the same study in a soil that already has uh, you know, high soil health, uh, probably we could have got a different response because the soil, the soil is already cycling. It has a lot of microorganisms. It's, it's moving things very much faster than a newer soil where, where you didn't have this biomass and diversity of organisms. So any, it, so I, let, you know, even if you don't get nitrogen credit right away, uh, doing cover crops and no-till are good practices, good management, because in the long term, you'll be able to recover that. You know, I know some farmers that they can reduce uh, their nitrogen rate to corn in 50 pounds, uh, just because they're having nitrogen cycling. What we don't know is that nitrogen coming from the crop the year before, or maybe two years before, but then the, the microbes are moving. And the other thing too, because the microbes are, you have a much, very soil health, you also, it's less likely you're going to lose it, right? Because if there is a molecule of nitrate there and there's a lot of microbes, they're going to use it, right? So, so becomes, soil health really becomes an important thing here because all these responses and things that you want to be benefits, they can be monetized. See, the main thing with cover crops is where do I get my money back, right? And nitrogen credits is one of the easy things that I can get some money if I can reduce the rate. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen when you just start with cover crops. It doesn't happen every year uh, because of all these factors that depend on it. You know, if you get a dry spring, even a farmer that has a very good soil health, you might not get the, the credit because there's not enough moisture for the microbes to release it, right? Microbes need moisture too, moisture and temperature. So this is a play between all these factors that they're in. We don't have control of them, most of them. What we have control is try to cover our soil so we don't lose soil by erosion, uh, increase the soil health, which is gonna improve aggregation. It's gonna have a, a better, uh, the better health is gonna keep the nutrients in the system and cycling them every year. So once you get that soil health, you might be able to start benefiting of that nitrogen credit. Unfortunately, it's very hard for us because somebody asked me, can, can we count this, try to measure this nitrogen credit two years from now? It's very, it will be very difficult because of the mobility of the nitrogen, right? It moves so much, it changes forms in the soil, it's leached, lost. And so it will be very hard to follow. <laughs> and I wish you had a good tracer. There's some studies with that you can put a 15N, you know, isotope and try to trace it and see if you can see where it shows up, you know, but it's not easy to do to do that on 
uh, you know, and over time to really see where your nitrogen from the cover crop went, you know, and where did it end up? You know, did it end up in the water, in the air, or where did, did it go, you know, in, in, in all this cycle? But I think it's very important to have a good picture of what's happening, and that's why I focus more on all the factors that are affecting nitrogen uh, and the affect the ability of a residue to release or not release that nitrogen. But that's that's the recommendation of trying to put a strip with more and then the rest of the field. And maybe that year you are getting the credit and you don't have to use it, or you'll have to do a second application, which many farmers do anyway, right? Uh, they do a, a second application of nitrogen at B6 or somewhere there. So that's pretty much in summary what I talk about on this. I think I had a lot of fun doing this presentation, trying to put the information. So it was more not just presenting research data, but more of trying to teach about this. <laughs> so it was more of a class than anything. Wow. Well, that's a lot of great information. I guess one of the key takeaways I got from all that is with all these factors, it's important to just kind of control what we can control, right? Things like you said, adding cover crops, reducing tillage. I'm curious, did you guys look at all into um, whether or not um, something like grazing and livestock has any sort of effect on nitrogen? That's a very good question. And no, we don't. You know, uh, I work with forages, but I don't do grazing trials. Uh, one of my colleagues, Miranda Mihan, she works in that and she's been doing grazing of cover crops. When you and that that's a, a a great thing. If you can integrate livestock and in your system, you're gonna increase the nutrient cycling right away. Because that's a different thing, right? Now it goes through now the residue, the cover crop goes through a cow. And so the nitrogen is gonna be ready. It doesn't have to be converted, you know, by the microbes in the soil. You're already getting direct nitrogen and urea and the urine of the of the cow or you know the rest of the manure that they're putting right there so then they're spraying it on your field so well you know um a lot of people talk about the the basic soil health principles and one of them is integration of livestock um very important one because if you have that ability i know a lot of people don't have animals but there is a lot of things going on and you know um some people that you can rent land for grazing uh, you know, there's people willing to move cattle. That's happening. Neighbors move cattle to do to graze in other fields where they have cover crops. Uh, it depends. You know, fencing is a limitation. Water availability for the cows when they're grazing. Those are things you have to consider. But but your whole system and nutrient cycling changes completely once you have livestock. Mm -hmm. But one thing, you know, livestock is different than having manure. Um, Dr. Rourke also he did work with manure application and what he saw is if you put manure and cover crops you won't see the nitrogen credit because the cover crop takes it up and then it doesn't give it back right away now if you put manure alone you might get the nitrogen credit from the manure so um so that's why again all those factors are playing but having cows in there you complete because you're already getting that process you're getting the nitrogen already in, in process form uh, and so it's, you're, it's much more likely you're going to get more credits, you know. So uh, if you have the ability to integrate livestock, it's a very good idea. I, just, I know it's not for everyone, but even if you cannot do that, there's a lot of things you can do. 
And I still encourage cover crops. If somebody says, well, maybe we shouldn't put cover crops, I still encourage to do it. They're going to do so many other things for you. The thing is, it might not be directly nutrient credits, but, but you know, uh, you're improving uh, soil health. Um, your field is going to do better if it's going to be more resilient if you have a drought or if you have things like that. You know, uh, people that's been doing cover crops and no-till and you get a dry year, they do better than those that are doing tillage because uh, a, soil, a healthy soil also conserves water. And so you have a better uh, capacity of the soil to conserve water in dry, dry areas, uh, dry years. And so, yeah, there's so many benefits. The, the thing with nitrogen is, is the would be the easiest way to monetize and try to pay for your cover crop, right? And, you know, uh, where are you in my, I don't know, $30 I spent on cover crops back? If we could have the nitrogen credit, it would be the easiest way to justify it, right? But it's 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 really hard uh, to do that because it varies every year. And the other thing is the other benefits, maybe you don't see the money there, but in the long term, it will pay for it. Because if you get a dry year, you're going to get better yield than if you didn't do cover crops. Um, so there's so many of the benefits. The monetizing of the benefits of cover crops is what is difficult. Uh, it's difficult to do. Now, the other post, the other thing is, that since you asked about livestock, when you have livestock, you can't pay for the cover crop. The, gain, the animal gain weight uh, that you get with the cover crop grazing and be able to save uh, hay, for the winter, if you have cows grazing in the fall and even early in the winter, some people do that. Uh, all that saving and gain weight or at least not lose weight during the winter, uh, that's, that has a monetary value. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of other people that have livestock can recover the cost of the cover crop if they're grazing it. You know, that, that's a way to recover uh, easily. All right. Well, I just have one more question for you. I, I recently was talking with um, another uh, ag extension person, Paul Yasa of uh, Nebraska Extension. And he was telling me that even though he's worked with the extension for more than 40 years, he's still learning new things pretty much every day. And I just thought that was so cool. I know you mentioned that, you know, these studies are fun for you as well, and you get to learn a lot. So the last question I have for you is just what was one thing that was either really surprising to you that you learned during this study or just something that really stuck with you? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, I always said, you know, we do all this research to answer questions, but we get more questions than answers. <laughs> so every time we do a research, you you know, we got a hypothesis, we have the treatments to try to answer this question like we did with this one. Do we have nitrogen credit from these cover crops? And then you get all these other questions, you know, what about the water? What about the, all, all these other things? So to me, what it is, is it's so hard to control all the factors, you know? When you do greenhouse studies, you can control stuff, but in the field, it's not like that. And that's what it is for the farmers. So that's the reality. So, because I could do this in the greenhouse and maybe I get perfect results, but that's not reality. And so for me, it wasn't much of a surprise because we kind of knew what's going to happen because we, we've we seen that it's hard to get those credits. Um, so, but we learn a lot. We learn a lot about management of the cover crops, you know, um, water management of them, uh, stand establishment problems. We learn a lot with the sugar beet too. We didn't know how sensitive sugar beet is to this. So sugar beet was worse than corn. Sugar beet really 
got affected by all the winter crops, rye, winter wheat. Um, it had a lot of negative effects because of the water use in the summertime. Uh, one of the years that we did that we have more of a wet spring and we didn't see as many differences. So water is really important to evaluate. So I think we learn a lot of things. My PhD student learned a lot of, uh, you know, uh, work and things that, you know, doing these studies uh, take a lot of time too. You know, it's a lot of sampling, a lot. You, you just see the summarized data I show in one graph with that. That takes a lot of hours of work <laughs> to get that data. Um, it's not perfect um, because nothing of this is perfect when you have so many factors, but I think every, and, and I agree with the, uh, the comment of the other extension person, we learn every day. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years working on research and every day I learn something new. Every day we do experiment, we learn more and then we get more questions and we try to learn more. And so, but that's the fun of it, you know, uh, you're learning and learning what's happening and trying to do it and Hopefully we can get, you know, some answers so it can help farmers because that's really the objective, you know, to do our research is apply research and a store geared toward the farmers so they can uh, adopt practices that will help uh, their soils, but also their bottom line. You know, we know we don't want them to do things that are going to make them lose money. The thing is uh, we have to adjust them as they go, but I really encourage the cover crops. But you know, I learn every time, you know, we never know what's going to happen with these things. We kind of guess what's, but that's a surprise is what, what we get. I think we would have been surprised if we really got a response because we really weren't expecting it. But, you know, what happened here that necessarily doesn't happen everywhere. That's why you have to do that strip and test it. You know, these are different soils. We are in a much shorter, you know, season area in North Dakota. Uh, it gets drier than other parts. So, but but what is important is to learn how these things are working so you can manage it and see. You know, out east, they do do get a lot more nitrogen credits for the core crops because they have a lot more rain too. Um, and so there's a lot of things they go into it. So this information, you have to use it, but, you know, apply it according to the areas you have. It's not a black and white information. It never will be. You know, it's not a yes or no information. So um, it, it, it is what it is, and that's what's going to happen in the farmer's fields. Big thanks to Marisol Birdie for today's discussion. The full transcript of the episode will be available at CoverCropStrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to our sponsor, Source, from Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. And from all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening and have a great day.